Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Up late with Mace. It's here. everybody, welcome to another edition of Up Late with Mace, the home of conjunctivitis, my new friend. And that's just a fancy way of saying eye crust. I am your host, Mace. <laughs> Is there a way to facepalm into a microphone? <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> yes, but it would probably destroy your microphone. And dear <laughs> I was just going to, I was really, I was done with the gross part, and I was just right into the, this is your host, Mace Palladino speaking, and, <laughs> and then Keith vomits into the microphone. <laughs> uh, epic show beginning is epic. So we're 28 minutes late, don't give a fuck. Uh, my inbox, my avid inbox died, and it is the thing that I was using to route my XLR microphone. I had a really nice Shure series microphone. It's a, uh, what the fuck model is this? It's an SM58, which I'm told is great for voice acting and podcasting. But unfortunately, I needed a device to connect it to my Mac Mini, and that device has shit the bed. So now we're... That's why you, that, you make it sleep in the garage. Yeah, well, so here's the deal, folks. Uh, I, am now, I have now cobbled together a recording studio based on a Microsoft Surface, my iPhone, and my Mac Mini. Sure. With me in the studio, as always, is my good friend Keith W. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> in case you didn't hear the thunder on the, in- on the intro. <laughs> and, of course, we have Petty Fan here. Oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> and the Gollics. Yep. I'm going to be rude here, but I've stopped asking Dark Excalibur Wolf because he keeps denying us over and over again. So he'll join us when he joins us. Mm. All right. So now that we got all that bullshit out of the way, I guess we got a good show for you. That's always the claim. Keith, what have you got for the news? All right. I got a couple of things. First of all, um, I'm going to be out of town this weekend. That's that's noteworthy because I'm going to Memphis. We're going to a friend's Halloween party, but we're also going to our friend uh, Stewart's uh, memorial service. So kind of one end of both things there. Epic partying and then, you know, paying respects. Um, I have been pretty steadily streaming art since 
the last couple of weeks, and it has started to pick up. I actually got like five commissions last week, and I've already completed two this week. Um, I finished two pages in this Arcana today, finished commissions, and uh, actually got the, the, the bonus pin up to Mac for the patch around thing for Starship Moonhawk. Woo! I just fucked <laughs> I was so excited I almost shit myself. No, seriously. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And uh but yeah, I've been I've been doing like stream commissions and things like that. I used to be a people chilling and watching me draw and then paying me to draw things and I actually have been doing pretty good with that. Cool. Uh, Let's see uh, if this USB floppy drive works with the Microsoft Surface. <laughs> I made a, I made a decent chunk of money last week and everything, so so happy happy day for that. And we'll see. And this week is this week has been kind of cramped because of getting ready to go to Memphis. So we'll see we'll see if the trend continues moving on into like next week things like that. Very nice. Mm, aside from that, I have beer. <laughs> and you're not <laughs> and you're not afraid to use it. That's right. <laughs> Alrighty, Betty Fan, what have you got? Uh, well, last week I had my sleep study, and the hospital is still trying to jerk me around. At least they're not jerking you off. There we go. Honestly, that will be more pleasurable than what the fuck they're doing with me now. Yay. So what are they saying? Like, you can't get the thing you need from the results of your sleep study? or Basically, they're trying to tell me that I don't need it because my sleep apnea is not bad enough. I have a what? It's... It's bad enough that I can barely that I have trouble sleeping at night, and apparently now my blood pressure has been going up. Hmm. But yet they still don't want to do anything. I've got to great... wait for the finalized results to come back to see what we're gonna do. I've got a great device that's been helping me with my snoring. It's called the Z Quiet. <laughs> I've actually been using it for about two years now. And uh, it does help. It's a, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, or I'd rather it's a pain in the jaw, because when you wear it, it, it takes a while to get used to it. You have to try to train yourself for it. Oh, but, is that one of those, like, mouth guard things? Yeah. I've tried one of those. I can't stand them. Well, I think, really I, think you'll, I think you'll dislike death more. Mm. Yeah, this is, this is highly likely. Just saying. Well, depending on what happens with the official results, I may be looking into seeing a new doctor because, seriously, fuck these guys. I keep hoping that that, that, uh, that CPAP machine I saw on uh, Indiegogo gets funded. It, was, uh, they basic, it basically just rests in your nozzles and doesn't have an external machine. It's battery-operated, and uh, it, it somehow manages to do the same job. How do those things work for people who like sleep the opposite of rest of like static like people who move around a lot? What? You see pet machines in general? Yeah, well any that or the something that just rests on your face. The basically the little cushions on them for like the thing that just rests in your nose. They just rest in there by pressure. 
or they might have like some like little tacky thing you put on your lip. Ah, oh, okay. But like on regular CPAP masks, they just have headgear you put on your head and it keeps it there. Yeah, and you've got plenty of slack so that way you can strangle yourself in your sleep with the hose. Yeah. Oh wait, that was inappropriate. <laughs> I want people to sleep on their sides or on their faces. It, well, with the head harness, it, it stays in place. You know those you know those harnesses they used to give people for uh for braces? Vaguely, yeah. Okay. Something like that, except a little bit more comfortable because it's like a nylon strap. <laughs> okay. I guess that would work. Possibly. Yeah. But just enough pressure to keep it shoved up your nose. It forces it, it basically forces air through your nasal passage and down your throat. You have to keep it up. Basically, people like will um, flap in there from closing. Right. Well, either that or your tongue from resting on the back of your throat. Yeah. Is the situation I have. That's why the mouth guard works for me. It's uncomfortable and my teeth hurt, but I can I can manage to wear it for about six hours, and then I wake up and take a piss and then go right back to sleep. So. Well, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I know the results of my sleep study thing next week and if I'm, you know, looking for a new doctor slash hospital. All righty. Alex, what have you got? Uh, nothing too interesting. I made some good progress on my Gundam model today. All I have left to do really is the gun, which is pretty complicated because it's also another gun and a sword, but um, I've been playing some video games and like there's I have at least a new one I got the I got Yoshi's Woolly World haven't had a chance to play that yet um, this past weekend we had a uh, family group birthday thing down in Massachusetts that was fun hmm. uh, I had a brunch burger which was a burger with short ribs under it and bacon on it and cheese and an egg. Whoa. That sounds and like it'll kill you. Tomato. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it'll kill you if you have more than one of those. It's like, uh, do you have one that comes in a sub-1,500 calorie burger? <laughs> yeah. You, restaurant. Do you have one that won't kill me if I finish it? Uh, can you divide this into quarters so that I can use it for my 2,000-calorie diet per day? Well, and it came with a big block of hash browns that I only ate like half of. God, so 2,700 calories altogether. Restaurants are really bad at keeping reasonable amounts of stuff, and yeah. But no, it was fine. I absolutely love the, uh, what the fuck is that burger at Denny's? It's, it's basically, if you go to, okay, so for, for those of you who know um, Steak and Shake, it's called, it's called, called the Royale, the Royale Deluxe. Okay, and it's it's basically uh, two all beef patties, cheese, lettuce. Tom- no, it doesn't have lettuce and tomato. It doesn't. Bacon and uh, a fried egg, and it's, and the with French fries, it's like five bucks. Okay, and uh, and basically Denny's has a knockoff of this burger. It, it's pretty much exactly the same thing, except that you get a, except that you get hash browns on it or something dumb like that. 
So, yeah, it is delicious. And I don't know about the steak and shake version, but I know the Denny's version clocks in at like 1,480 calories. Yeah, restaurant food is usually two two meals at least worth of calories. So, mm-hmm. so it's like, uh, yeah, could you cut that in half and put one, of it, one half in a box? Yeah, that'd be great. And then put the other half in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably with a priest who knows how to do an exorcism. <laughs> and just to clarify, apparently Applebee's in some places have brunch burgers that are similar to that, but this was not an Applebee's. It was a... Uh, I forget what it was called, but it's a place in Massachusetts. I don't think it's like a franchise. Your auto volume adjust just gets your volume to have back. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, you can really Okay. Well, how about now? Slightly better. Okay. Don't have much control over that because it's a surface and fuck you, Microsoft. <laughs> and and right. because I was sitting here quietly, it's like, oh, well, obviously you've been speaking this whole time and we just didn't hear you, so let's crank the volume. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I was just sitting here silently, Microsoft. Thanks for playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, says, if I'm eating at Denny's, I would expect my Royale to have pancakes for buns. Well, there's another thing called uh, the, 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 uh, the Grand Slamwich. <laughs> and also another, another thing called dying early of diabetes. <laughs> oh, diabetes is the least of your concerns right there. Uh, let's see. Uh, high blood pressure, stroke. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's there's a story there. Uh, let's hear it. I, I'm not quite ready for my topic yet. All right. So, you know, so long, for the longest time, the the you know I'm loving it thing was was the big guy. So you, you always hear that ba 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 or whatever. And one of the guys that I work with, you know, he's this like you know 110 pound tiny scrawny dude. And he comes into work one day, and he's got, like, this massive meal bag from McDonald's. He pulls out, like, burgers. So he eats another burger, fries, and all this stuff. And I said, man, you must really love McDonald's. He goes, I'm loving it. I was, you know, cheesy, whatever. And I go, diabetes. And he fucking, like, snarfed out at his fucking meal. I couldn't stop laughing because he thought it was so funny. Oh, my God. At least it went out and didn't kill him. All I know is McDonald's is going to be the death of me because they started all day breakfast. So, you know, I get my 30-minute lunch. I drive up the street to McGee where the McDonald's, where the McDonald's with the 24-hour drive-thru is, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I need a sausage McMuffin with egg, a sausage McMuffin with no egg, and a large Diet Coke. <laughs> That's the only way I can eat under $5 at work nowadays. <laughs> Okay. The McGangbang is much better. Yeah, well, the point is, the, the, the point is, there's no such thing as a Mc1035 anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The thing that the formerly known as a Mc1035, now known as a Mc whenever the fuck you want. Unless you're in the part of the country where the all-day breakfast menu has biscuits instead of English muffins. <laughs> Which I think I would prefer. Honestly, there's one thing I miss about the South, and that is the uh, Southern-style chicken biscuit. 
and not people trying to burn a cross on your front lawn? Well, I'm white, so that was never a problem. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wasn't cohabitating with, uh, shall we say, people of a darker persuasion. <laughs> so, again, the KKK left me alone. <laughs> they probably they probably would have applauded me for taking a fast food job away from a uh, much more deserving person. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unwittingly. I mean, I was completely naive to this fact. <laughs> so, and you wish you still were? <laughs> you know, when the hiring manager says, says, pulls you aside and says, we really need people like you. Because, oh, God. Because look at the hiring pool I have to deal with here in Mobile. <laughs> you really got to take stock of what's going on there. And you and you look around the room where all of the other interviewees are, and you see a sea of people who don't look like you. <laughs> notice notice how delicately I'm putting this because I'm perfectly aware I'm perfectly aware of my privilege now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was not a fun experience. And so for the next three months, it was like there was this very very subtle hatred and acted against me that I was completely ignorant to until months afterwards. <laughs> and then I was just sitting there one day and I'm like, yep, that's what that was. You're like, oh, they didn't like me because I am like you. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I've ever been hired directly into management anywhere, ever. Yeah. So that should have been my first clue. Like I haven't I've barely for... ever been hired anywhere ever. Well, I mean, I... what uh, what was what happened is I haven't worked I hadn't worked for Mickey D's for fourteen years at that point. So I don't know what they like, thought they were I don't know what they thought they were getting here. <laughs> well, you take things seriously occasionally, so I'm sure you're better than some people. So, anyway, moving on, we got a lot of stuff going on with the Patreon, that's for sure. Notice I'm saying it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Segway, segway, segway. Thank you, Adam and Ogre. <laughs> They're like... I, I don't ride segways. <laughs> Ogre's probably sitting there scratching his rear end going, somebody must be talking about me. Because <laughs> <laughs> my butt itches. <laughs> Ah man, so many things, so many things going on. So of course, as Keith mentioned earlier in the broadcast, uh, we have the Starship Moonhawk Patreon going full fledged. We have two patrons, total thirty five dollars. But unfortunately, that's not going to cut it if we want updates. So we're going to have to move that up to two hundred and twenty dollars, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Otherwise, you're going to get a little bit of bonus material and not a whole lot of substance. The objective here is to start over with the uh, episode Made in the USA, which is the first episode after the Mercadian Affair, the ill-fated pilot for the webcomic series that I spent, uh, let's see, 2001, carry the two, 14 years working on. Wow. (laughs) The third reboot started in 2008. I even put out an ad that says on December, what was it, December 31st, 2008. 
or was it December 8th? I forget. It was something like, I think it was December 8th. On December 8th, 2008, the greatest sci-fi adventure of all time begins again for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that... Begins again for the first time for the last time. I, I believe that qualifies as challenging someone right after declaring that I'm invincible. <laughs> because the universe came crashing down on me and said, nope. <laughs> you dumbass. What have you done? <laughs> yep, so that was fun. I still have the ad banner, just in case anybody ever wants to see it. I'll probably put it up on the Patreon page for laughs. <laughs> Uh, and what's sad is I had two versions of it. I had a ver- I had a, a uh, crappy low res version and then a spiffied up version. They're basically the same except one has one has uh, all of the text stroked, so that way it has a black border. <laughs> it's all stroked. It's all stroked, yo. And then you know what's funny is absence makes the heart grow fonder, <laughs> or in this case, it makes you realize things that you thought were not true. I'm re-uploading the pages of the three of the Mercadian Affair 3.0. We now have a separate gallery for that. I found a comic management utility that cooperates, and I use the term very loosely, with Comic Press, because I don't want to rebuild the site again. After I rebuilt it with Comic Press back in 2009, I did the updates until Trump abandoned the original version of it. And I decided not to go with the new one because I know fuck all about CSS. <laughs> so I kept the old. So I kept the old because otherwise I'd go with like web. I'd use webcomic with ink blot or something like that because that's what we did on Truly Pink and it was great. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but you know I had Jamie here, so. <laughs> and um, so I found something that actually works within the framework of this existing theme. It's primitive but it does actually have an archive drop-down that is functional. doesn't have pictures, but I, was, I, I used um, a naming convention that is it, at least possible to follow with. Prologue, Act 1, Cover, you know, so it says Star and Mercator, Act 1, Cover, Act 1, Page 1, so on and so forth. So it just it goes down, it goes up the line, and it, it's organized from most recent to oldest. And so I've uploaded the what is it, 74 pages of the 3.0 reboot. Yeah, this a bitch is the most cobbled together piece of shit that you have ever seen. But it will have a fucking storyline if it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> I took, even during the during the 3.0 reboot, I took art that was like, I don't know, five years old, and reformatted it, and you know, I got into Photoshop and I worked that mouse like a son of a bitch. <laughs> this was before my days where I was in, where I had a decent tablet. And, uh, and that was that was really, I was gonna say to tie into the, the the decent tablet. I made a compliment and complimented you on your your lines for Pep Saga. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, oh my God! Since I figured out how to digitally ink, I got this. I I owe it to two things. Number one, my Cintiq 12WX, and number two, uh, what is it? Uh, Click Studio. 
think that's what it's called, or is it Clip? It's Clip Studio Paint. It's basically, it's basically yeah. It's basically Mac's, the Macintosh answer to Painter Tool Sci. No, no, it is it is actually exactly Manga Studio. I have the old Manga Studio debut four. They are nothing alike. It depends. No, well, it, okay, it, hold it, on. It's identical to five. Well, it depends on which version you select. I have a 5EX. No, I'm talking about Clip Studio because there's a $150 version and there's a $50 version. I own the $50 version. The $150 version is night and day difference. It is exactly Manga Studio 5EX. But you can get Manga Studio 5EX for Macintosh, so there's really no reason to get Clip Studio Paint unless you want something that actually has respectable uh, uh, that has a respectable stabilizer because I, I haven't found it yet in Manga Studio. <laughs> yeah, I don't like their stabilizer at all. Yeah, the Clip Studio Paint one, man, I'm just sitting there going, <laughs> I'm actually making these little quick stroke marks with my hand. Stop it. <laughs> don't even do it. <laughs> I'm just making these quick little strokes with my hand. <laughs> yeah. All right. Get it out. Get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, before I was like, I got to I got to meticulously follow the line, and now I'm just like, As, like you watched you inking, uh, digitally inking a piece the other day. I mean, you know, you see how I do it. Yeah, you were slow compared to me now, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, I. You should watch. See, Jamie, Jamie actually uses the rotational tool in Painter Tool Sci and, and Manga Studio. I do too. I do not. I am actually sitting here and I'm just like, woo! Flip the tablet. I'm like, turn the tablet, turn the tablet, turn the tablet. It's like all over the place. I'm like leaning into it, tilting it back. I'm like, <laughs> I just turn it whatever direction I needed to. But I, that's one of the advantages of having a smaller tablet is that you can flip it around on your desk without destroying the place. Whereas if you have a if you have a UG if you have a UG nineteen hundred series like Keith does or the I think James is twenty one fifty that she has. Yeah, the twenty one fifty that she has, woohoo uh that's a little harder to do and it requires its own stand. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just I was funny because I was watching Keith on stream the other day and he was, and I and he had the sound on, and I was listening, and I, all I could hear was a yeah. of the stupid pen that comes with these UG tablets. It squeaks. Because the pen, the pen versus glass, they, it, it creates just enough oddball friction periodically that it goes, and you're like, uh. Yeah, well, well the, the, the Wacom tablets, though, they have, a, they have like a uh, surface coating. It's more like, it's more like, it's more like plastic yeah. over the glass screen. So the digitizer has a more porous surface, and it doesn't make as much noise. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gives you more of the, the texture like you're actually working on like paper or something. Well, not exactly that. I still have see, I still have that little brain disconnect with that, but, man, I have gotten really fast with this. You know, I, the last page that went up, I inked that in about 40 minutes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now, Jamie was mad at me because she says, well, your backgrounds are really simple. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Everyone's paying me for my backgrounds. Pretty much. 
it's a yeah. it's a shortcut because I need to be more expedient. I I don't I am not a full time artist at least not yet. If There's I ever a reason why none of your comics have finished yet. <laughs> yeah, and it's not laziness. That's for damn sure. So uh, back to Starship Moonhawk. So here's what we've added to the whole mix here. I have put the Mercadian affair back up. The hodgepodge part that I was explaining before before we got derailed here is that back in 2007, I had a former named Hannah Hopp who did 13 pages at the beginning of Act 3. And she was kind of new to the whole comics thing. And she got really good, and then she got frustrated and quit. When I rewrote the entire script for Chapter three because i was just like man none of this shit makes any sense when i rewrote the entire script for chapter three for the 3.0 reboot i wasn't really able to use her art anymore but i was able to salvage three pages of it which have been heavily modified if you look in there, it's like I drew new details on their uniforms and stuff like that. It's like, well, we changed the strike suits and we changed this and we changed. I even kept some of Kim Godwin's colors, which was kind of fun. See, um, she she was our she was our colorist. So uh, Hannah was our illustrator. Uh, I was inker for a little while. Kim uh, Kim did the colors, and then I did the final lettering. And so, you know, it looks a lot different from my regular style, but I just didn't want to redraw these three pages from scratch. But I did make some concessions now that I have a tablet, a tablet and I could do things digitally. Last night I spent about, I don't know, 15 minutes uh, adding in all kinds of missing details and removing all the U.S. logos. Oh, my God, that's an explanation I don't even want to get into. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I fixed I fixed four more lost pages to help move the plot along a little further. And the reason that that's significant is because, as per the update to the Patreon, it's, and it says it on the site now, if we get if we reach goal every month of at least the minimum of four pages per month, updated once a week on a day that we will later designate. $220. Yep. Keith will do four pages moving the story forward and I will add four pages of the Mercadian Affair in the separate gallery and they will update concurrently. The reason is, is because as far as repilots go, Made in the USA is a cute storyline, but it really finds its genesis in the Mercadian Affair. Because the character of Malaya is introduced, her significance is brought up, how she became part of the crew, the whole nine yards. So while you can probably get into Made in the USA without any real difficulty, to really get the full force of the background and the significance of the sector of space that they're exploring and so on and so forth, for all of that to really matter, I have to finish the Mercadian Affair. So we want to get Keith paid. In order to do that, we have to get the Patreon up to $220 a month, so that way we can update at least once a week. In addition to that, if we hit that, I will commit to a page a week 
of the Mercadian affair until the fucking thing is done. Now, keep in mind that we're on page 74 right now, and there's a little more than 160 pages in this thing. Of just that chapter? Of just that that chapter, yep. So we are roughly at the very middle of it. Now, here's here's some, here's a, I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret here. Almost all of Act 4 and 5 are done. The rewrite necessitated me shit-canning that part of the archive because otherwise it stops abruptly in the middle. It's kind of like when they did that preview of the episode Too Far of Steven Universe and it says 30 seconds of footage missing (laughs) and something really fucking important happened in that missing 30 seconds. Well, imagine that being 35 pages. So we're going to we're going to start right where this right up to the point where the story makes sense and I'm going to keep going with all of my revisions until I catch up to the part that's already been done and then you'll get a weekly update with the revised versions because I hired a professional artist back in 2008 uh we will call her what the hell did she call herself at the time Nico Chien. <laughs> Uh, you, you guys who read Ship in a Bottle may know her as Koneko. She did the Genie Handbook for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she drew from the midpoint of Act 4 all the way to the middle of the climax of Act 5, which is the final part, and then there's a brief epilogue. Who snorted? Why? Nobody snorted. That was a mic noise. It sounded that way. <laughs> well, he's been banned from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. No, but that's uh, this is this is important because uh, there is a lot of this story already produced. So basically, you're going to be getting a lost episode of Starship Moonhawk. Something that we've that has been a constant thorn in my side for 14 years has suffered innumerable rewrites. By the way, if you compared version 1.0 to version 3.0, you would think that somebody else wrote and drew this. And if you wanted because to, they get, no, wait. well, if you wanted to get metaphoric about it, I mean, let's be brutally honest. I was a different person back then. In 2001. I was, let's see, I was 14 years ago. I'm 38 now, so I was 24. I was a very, very different person there. I was also unemployed, so I was able to do 29 pages of pencil sketched work in a week. And I'm talking about finished sketches. We're not talking, so, you know, the kinds of illustrations that you'd find in, uh, like, teen novels and stuff like that? Like, if you look at the old Star Trek The Next Generation Starfleet Academy series, you know, mm-hmm. James W. Fry, illustrator for DC Comics, actually did all of the insert images in the entire in the entire Wharf trilogy, <laughs> written by Peter David. So, you know, that was the level of work that I had done. Extremely detailed stuff where I stood, where I sat there painstakingly using just a number two pencil to do different gradients of shading. 
for 29 pages. I wish I could, I wish I could work that fast anymore. But nowadays with, you know, inking and coloring and acting like and pretending to be like a professional, it takes me a bit longer to do a page. So, yep. So what's going to happen is there's, there's uh, approximately, I'm going to say 35 pages of missing material in the, in the middle that I have to completely illustrate from scratch because I don't even have a digital version of the script. I had to go find my notebook that has the entire revised Act 3. That's, uh, that's, how, that's how drastically this script has changed. If I were to pull the digital script off my hard drive right now and show it to you and, and compare it to this one I'm right, uh, that I have written down in this notebook sitting next to me, you'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> I'm actually quite proud of the work that I did in 3.0 revision. I mean, even even though there's a discontinuity between the salvaged art, you know, this is like how, how, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a of a an analogy, and and the thing that comes closest to mind is when in 1986, after Star after Star Trek IV, so 86, 87 ish, they found the the lost pilot of Star Trek, the cage, the one that they had clipped together into the episode, the menagerie, but was oddly in color in the menagerie. Well, for some reason, oh, the, that was lost at some point. It was. It was locked in the oh. it was locked in the Paramount vault. The original version was filmed on some weird sixteen millimeter film, and it was done in black and white. And the the keepers actually had different voices. <laughs> in the original black and white version. I mostly only know about that from reading about it in the uh, Star Trek encyclopedia, and I don't think it mentioned that part, or I, I skimmed over that part. The first public release used an almost seamless transition between black and white and color, uh, where they had the original films that were in black and white, and then they, and then for the parts that were so badly degraded that they couldn't save them, they cut, they cut in the menagerie, the the color version of it. Now, here's the interesting thing about that: they filmed the episode simultaneously in 16 millimeter black and white, and 35 millimeter color. So, about Just kind of a why? Well, in the 90s they aired the cage again in its entirety the full t the full version of it that the color version that was used to make the menagerie they made, they put the cage out in all of its glory in full color so i'm like well if you had this color version then what was the point of clipping together this black and white version and it was just it was sort of something of an artifact is what it was so this version of the Mercadian Affair is much like this artifact version of the cage, where parts of it are in black and white and parts of it are in color, and you'll notice that the art changes. Not just my art, but you'll see art from other artists. And in some scenes, number one is played by Major Barrett, and in some scenes... Uh... <laughs> what, Jonathan Frakes? No. That's sure, not sure, why not? That's not how it works. No I'm kidding. No, I made some major changes. I uh, I I sent Harrison along on the strike mission to 
paid. And so, like, with all of Nico Sheik, there's no sign of Rachel Harrison. And I have a hand wave for that. But I, what it is, she would send Nico Sheik's is, is, is she testing? I lost you. I didn't say Hello, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. So I is she test it, and that's all I got. Oh, okay. I'm gonna ask if she was testing out a uh, testing out an extremely uh, unreliable personal cloaking device. <laughs> well, the story, this the original version of the story revolved around a couple of. Uh, a couple of secondary characters. Basically, basically, I was giving the below decks people an opportunity to shine in this episode because for the webcomic, it needed to have a little bit of everything that belonged in Starship Moonhawk. So it had to have the main cast. They had to be split. You had to have the ships. You had to have people doing something on a planet. You had to have, uh, you had to have the below deck secondary characters. You know, the people who add a little flavor and color to the whole thing. Um, so I have like the secondary cast, like I have Lieutenant Colin Parsons, who's the assistant engineer, and then I have uh, Senior Chief Marla Janus, who's a who's an outsider with Kitty Pride like abilities. She can phase through walls and things, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, I had I had a security guard who was always shown with his head above the panel, so that way it was emphasizing that he was absurdly tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So, um, And then I had a... I had a Chief Wet Maxwell, who was, um, who was a um, weapons specialist and a whole bunch of other stuff. So anyway, they all, they all were in this episode briefly. And so in order to make this whole thing work, this time, I wanted Rachel Harrison to be there because I've always said she's quite possibly the most important character in the series because I focus on her a lot. And there's a big secret and a big reveal that's supposed to come up later in the webcomic series that will be like, when you see it, you'll be like, I knew it. She's actually a reincarnated alien space No, not even remotely close. I don't know, just a guess. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see, there's a striking resemblance to character in a spinoff of Starship Moonhawk. It was really obviously subjected to it more. It's Keith in the Big Darkness one, now part of the team. Isn't that... Hello? Uh, Hi, you were pretty... I think you were a little bit unreliable. I could hear myself through the talk shoe call. So, I don't don't know. It got through the talk shoe. Anyway, as I was saying, Keith is in on the secret. Yeah, because I sort of had to be for a couple of things. Yep. Well, because it's an important visual reference, and you might... And every now and again, we might do a Space Destroyer Hunter storyline because it is kind of advertised on the top of the site. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keith will need to get familiar with those characters as well. 
it's a it's a it's a it's a very large and varied cast. Man, I'm terrible at keeping secrets about my characters. Well, I just I, what I wanted to do was since she's supposedly such an important character to the series, I wanted to feature her more prominently in this sort of kitchen sink storyline that we're doing here. And it so it was weird that she had like I don't know. By the time I got to the middle of Act Five, I think she had appeared five times, like on five different pages, and that was it. So I sent her along with Admiral Cobalt, and to explain her dis- her disappearance in uh, later on in Act Four, I've got a bridge. I have to write I have to write a new intro to Act Four, basically. Uh, because I introduced a new character who I basically redrew and palette-swapped Rachel Harrison's appearances in the original Act 4. I palette-swapped her out for another character. Which is going to be interesting because I've got to get uh, Marie Terry to send me the original PSD files for the pages she colored because we were using the original beige uniforms back in those days. (laughs) So I've got to do some overlay coloring. (laughs) She decided to color it all in one layer. So just bucket filling the correct colors into place is not going to cut the mustard. Hmm. All in all, all, it's a fascinating project, and I think once I get it all compiled, compiled... there was a there was a reference on the kick on the I'm sorry on the Indiegogo that if we had gotten to a certain point I was going to make a I was going to make a compilation book that shows all of the hideous original versions with commentary called Starship Moonfail. <laughs> That's technically still on the table with this new Patreon. So I'm pretty excited about that because that's probably going to be a 400-page book. That's a good size book. Mm-hmm. And it's all illustrations. Probably, probably do it as a digital release because I mean everybody's into their Kindles and shit these days. Just to just to keep the cost low. But um, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that because it, it'll finally show everybody exactly what I'm talking about. You know, going shockingly from the pencil sketches to inked pages, but bucket filled with color for about eight pages. And then all of a sudden, I kind of sort of learned how to color. <laughs> I, had, I, had a, I had a person who was a friend and now an enemy show me some pointers on how to use Photoshop to color with layers. And man, that opened up a whole new world for me. So what you do is you bucket fill, and then you make a transparent thing that's lighter and put it over it, and you make a transparent thing that's darker and put it over it. That's not is my is is my very very rudimentary and inaccurate idea of how photo bucket works. Wow, you just combined together a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> Photoshopping. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm terrible. That was amazing. You got this and this and then photo bucket, and I'm like waiting. And then and then you learn how to imger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
sorry. <laughs> I was thinking of bucket fills. Layer, I don't even know her. <laughs> Angel fires and ministers of of grace defend us. <laughs> well, these these days wait. <laughs> <laughs> then I uploaded it to. <laughs> that was great. I make sure that the show doesn't get too dry while I'm doing my dissertation here. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if my listeners find anything that is fascinating. You know, I want to have a sort of living of this experience. <laughs> so that way I can what I have wrought and weep. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I had something I wanted to talk about. Um, Go ahead and do that. I, I mean, uh, I, I, I made mention of it to me. I'm cracking up. Fuck off. Oh, our store today and, and what? Nothing. Go. Right. So we went to the dollar store to, to, to get some stuff, and, one the, and, and the lady at the counter, she's a casual friend of ours. We see her every time we go in there, whatever. And, and she says, she says, let me ask you a question. And we're receiving up our stuff. She goes, let me ask you a question. She goes, do you think it should be legal for cops to advertise like online for people that, like like uh, uh, like undercover as prostitutes, and then arrest somebody when they take them up on it? So we started this whole lengthy discussion, and I got to thinking about it as we were driving back. I'm like, I was like, you know, the interesting thing is, if you think about it, so first of all, I like what George Carlin said about it. He goes, selling is legal. Fucking is legal. Why isn't selling fucking legal? Well, all the things you can do to somebody, giving them an orgasm is hardly a crime. He said, you know, but I got to thinking about this, and I was like, okay, so prostitution is illegal in, in a great many places. And I was like, I, I was like, but, but wait a minute, said, but wait, so so okay, but a, a full-grown person can buy porn. I said, so so what you're telling me with this is is that a company can sell sex, not just like you know like tits bouncing in an ad, but a company can pay someone to have sex with another person, but I can't pay somebody to have sex with me. Well, of course, man. Taking out the middleman is a violation of the capitalistic principle. Well, I think the, the theoretical reason there is because you can theoretically control the circumstances a lot better in that kind of a situation. Who gives a shit? It's my, if, it's my, if it's my body and my welfare, yeah. I should be able to... There, there you go. I think the reason prostitution is illegal, aside from, you know, moralistic bullshit... Uh, is because of the uh, for the safety and equitable treatment of prostitutes. So what you're saying is that a corporate and or government entity should be dictating to me how I should conduct commerce because for my own safety. I didn't say that. Well, that's actually kind of implied in what you said there. Uh, that, I that's where th- this is where the libertarians will kick your ass. <laughs> It's implying that anyone needs oversight to make a transaction is is the antithesis of it's basically the definition of government overreach in the in the minds of most libertarians, and 
basically, basically, that's exactly what it is. Because it is a transaction that the government can't track or regulate, they basically make it illegal under the flimsy pretense that it, 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 it speaks to a moral higher power. So they, so they write this law saying uh, it's for your own good. All the while, it's because we can't tax this shit in any meaningful way. It's a cash transaction. There's no receipt. Um, so, yeah, it's basically the government trying to dictate how we should live. What about concerns of abuseful pimps and stuff? If, you know, my impression is that that's a thing, but my impression oh, yeah. is incredibly uninformed, so I'm actually really asking as much as saying opinions. Well, you, you, you are, there, that is a thing, but it, it falls back into the, you know, wait, prostitution is illegal. Right. So I, work, I live in a right-to-work state. My boss can basically yell at me and berate me and fire me for no fucking reason. How is that any different than getting smacked around by a pimp, other than the physical damage? Yes, and I guess if it was legal, it would be less secretive and... Well, I mean, you know, there's still, there, there's still the whole legal ramifications of divorce. Mm-hmm. Now, there's still a threat involved with it, but this is one of those things that maybe the government shouldn't get involved with it. They should set up a system to where, uh, like Nevada, for example, is not, by the way, just so you know, prostitution is not necessarily against federal law. It is more an interstate commerce issue. And the state of Nevada, for example, prostitution, but the city of Las Vegas does now, or prostitutes, within the city limits. Really complicated interstate. Most of them blue laws on the book, except for they're actually enforced in most states. If you get, you know, it's like, what, you know, whatever you don't get caught doing, the statute of limitations is very short on this kind of crime. You know, and I think actually solicitation is really more of a misdemeanor. <laughs> it's more the, it, it's really more the, the financial implication, the embarrassment of being caught more than it is, you know, do many Johns actually serve any real hard prison time? They may or may not. I don't know. I know that I know that most prostitutes who are caught for solicitation are issued a fine and sent on their way. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's one of those things that if the government really wanted to do it right, they would they would. Uh, enforce it under the Fair Labor Standards Act, and they would tax it as if it were any other form of employment. They would make pimps keep, uh, uh, what is it, a W-9 on file or a W-4 on file, and they would take out Social Security and Medicare taxes on that. Oh, man, wait for the fundies to have a fucking field day with that. What? The state and federal tax dollars are going to, are, are, you know, my social security came from prostitution? Ah! <laughs> I'm sure that would totally be a thing, you know, but then they'd have to have OSHA compliance, and then you'd have to have all of, all of your, all of your, um, 
you have to have all of your personnel be bonded and insured in case they, you know, broke the hotel room or the client's home or the client's neck. Well, there's that. You know, when you're, uh, he kind of says, well, that kind of prostitution or just making a porn video. Well, in a porn video on a set, they follow, well, at least they're supposed to. They're supposed to follow all of these compliancy regulations. It's interesting. I, I'm really, I'm, I, I really am fascinated by the concept that it's okay to pay two people to have sex with each other, so that way you can sell the video of it, and that's legal. But two people just agreeing to transact for a night of fun for one—I mean, because let's face it, it's a job. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it that way before. I think it would be difficult to transition. It probably would be. The state it, would of, probably, it would probably work fine if it was legalized, well, the as state long of, as standards were put in place. Well, you see, in the state of Nevada, they, prostitution is legal, but really only within brothels. You have to have a you have to have a license. You have to have a Specific a place of business. A actual place of business. You you can't go out on site for these jobs. <laughs> well, that's yep, probably that's the right. easiest way to make it regulatable. So right, but you see, people want to be able to go to clandestine locations and knock boots on their own time, and in a place of their choosing where they won't be caught and there's no paper trail. You know, so that's that's why, for the most part, that type of prostitution is illegal is because of the fact that it's basically a shady deal in a dark alley outside of government oversight, no safety standards, no taxation. You combine all of those elements together, and that's the real reason prostitution is illegal, because they can't make enough money off of it doing it the, doing it the wrong way. <laughs> and because it's illegal is a lot of the reasons why there are potential abuse and quality of yeah well there's actually according to the supreme court there's really no requirement that the that the uh that the purveyor <laughs> be required to deliver a quality product <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the it's like uh, if you it's like for example under the current under the current standard set by the supreme court you could put out an ad that says we have the best hookers in the world and as long as one person believes it great you're in the clear. <laughs> if not for the fact that, you know, having a stable of hookers is illegal in pretty much every state in the United States except Nevada. So it's an, it's an interesting topic, you know. Then, of course, we get into women's rights issues and so on and so forth. You know, why, why would I need a pimp? Why can't I, you know, it's like, what about madams? You know, we, we don't want to just, we don't want to just leave it there. Yeah. I pretty much have nothing else to say on this subject. I just thought I would bring it up because it was it was an interesting thought process. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But once again, as a privileged white male, as a privileged white heterosexual male, or uh, cishet, as I guess it is said, I am uh, I'm going to recuse myself from any further discussion on this. I, I've, I've expressed some general ideas, not necessarily an opinion on my part, but you know, just some general ideas of why it might be and 
how it could be better. Mm-hmm. If you could make such a thing better. So there you go. All right. Anybody have any final thoughts? Uh, shooting dick nipples. <laughs> God damn it, dude. Maybe you could bring up that burp again and we'll vote on it. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Too. I was like, I was like, well, at least they didn't just belch into the mic. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Starship Moonhawk has its own Patreon. This is one of our legit products, so it's necessary for us to have separate branding, which is why I don't have it listed under Mace Paladino. We hope you'll join us. We got a great we got a great product lined up for you. You're going to get a metric ton of stuff. We even have a we even now have included the same uh, cameo tiers that we have on Ship in a Bottle. So there's uh, the forty dollar face in a crowd option and the one hundred and fifty dollar three page walk on roll for your original characters. It must be an original character I, or something in the public domain that we won't get into deep steaming shit for drawing. I, I had an itch, I, I had a I had a concern about this in Ship in the Bottle. Uh, our our major patron uh, th- decided that he wanted to see a public domain character be a face in the crowd. I was like, all right, that'll be fun. It'll be kind of a Where's Waldo moment. And I verified she is public domain. So that will be happening sometime in the next month or so. Who knows? It depends on depends on where this page falls in the story. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we have the same option on Starship Moonhawk. So, and keep in mind, the crew of the Moonhawk is twenty five hundred. So, getting a getting a cameo walk on roll is a lot easier on Starship Moonhawk than it is anywhere else. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could be in the background working on. The, you could have your character in the background working on equipment. Oh yeah, here's another thing. For legal reasons, we will not be doing cameos of actual persons. Yeah, yep. it has to be a character avatar of some kind. It cannot be. A- I'd like to. What if my avatar is exactly like me in a funny hat? Then you get nothing and like it. <laughs> no, seriously, we want orig- completely original characters, not based on yourself or any other person, living or dead. It, you cannot pay forty dollars to get a, to get Keith to draw George Washington in an episode of Starship Moonhawk. <laughs> as fun as as fun as that might be, I don't. I just listened to the to the San Diego Comic Con dissertation on copyright law, and I don't want to have any of those issues. In fact, I got to go. I got to go erase a sign on an old page of Ship in a Bottle that says Coca Cola. <laughs> if you have a TV, don't brand it Phony in the same lettering as Sony. Yeah, they do, they do that in Japan because in Japan the the creative rights are far more loose. Right, well, issues of copyright and trademark are vastly different there. So, yeah, keep that in mind. If you're planning on buying that tier, do not ask us to do anything that requires me to get a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, we do, I do also have some sort of legal-esque language in that tier that you agree to um, give us an exclusive license to use your character in that, you know, in other words, if you were to if we were to compile that episode into a printed book or a do a digital distribution, you will not seek royalties or damages for us doing so. 
That's very, very, very important. What does exclusive mean in that context? It means that we have the exclusive right, meaning that only we have the right to redistribute those pages, that character, but only in that context. We can't, we can't make a poster of that character and say, you know, the Star Alliance needs you. Join our Patreon. So that would be an entertaining way to get people to be like, hey, really, you, you could use your care. You could get on an ad. Well, I mean, if people grant us that right, we would need it in writing in some way. I would need, an, I would need a, a legitimate email or something stating that you grant us that right to do so. But it means that all other uses of that character are retained by its original creator. So we so we basically have an exclusive license. In other words, you can't take this version of the character and go put it somewhere else. So you've so now you we've drawn your character in a in a Star Alliance in a Star Alliance Navy uniform and have them doing something. Now you can't go and take that interpretation of your character to another artist and have them do something with it, or we will sue you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's some important legal, legal distinctions there because if you take if you take this if you say there's no takebacks basically once once you loan us that version of the character that version of the character belongs to us but all other versions including the original version are the exclusive right of their owner and creator yeah so it, it's a contextual thing it's a contextual legal thing. I'm a, I'm no lawyer, so you know you may want to you may want to consult with somebody who has a legitimate legal voice. Not Mike. Yep, not Mike. <laughs> well, he he handles he handles dumbass criminal law, and I and I'm not saying that like he's a dumbass for handling that criminal law. I'm saying that most of the criminals he seems to deal with are dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if if his discussion about some of the stuff that's gone on in court with him is any indication. Oh my God, he could. Write. My first thought was like, man, what are you a public defender? It sounded well. You do kind of have to. It's actually mandatory in New York that you um, that you do some time that you do some uh, pro bono work. Not a lot, but you know, there's some mandatory community service. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. And, again, same thing. Uh, we reserve the right to modify your character slightly to fit the storyline if they actually have a walk-on speaking role at the $150 level. Because um, I'm not going to get – and this is really important because – and Keith knows exactly what I'm about to say here. This is this comes up worry. Okay, they're going to get annoyingly specific about certain aspects of their character, and it's like, listen, Jack, this is a military environment. Okay, if it doesn't adhere, hair with your character's hair is supposed to be rainbow colors, and they're supposed to have like yeah. six different piercings, each with a different astrological symbol on it in each nostril, and literal dick nipples. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. None. None of that in stuff. Moonhawk, in Moonhawk Studios, dick nipples shouldn't be too much of an. Or in Starship Moonhawk, dick nipples wouldn't be as much of an issue because they they hopefully would be inside of a uniform. Did you Did you happen to see the shocking amount of 
uh, nudity and violence in the Mercadian affair thus far. You might want to you might want to go look at that new. You might about cameo character. You might want to go look at that new archive. <laughs> On the Starship Moonhog page, it's, there's, there's there's a lot of tits and and, and death in there. Mm-hmm. So let's see. In the first ten pages, uh, I don't care if we run a long show tonight because this is kind of important stuff. Um, in the first ten to twenty pages, three people get viciously and brutally murdered. There's naked cat people everywhere. An entire space station is destroyed. So while people, while the crew of said space station looks on in horror as these vessels come through and punch holes in it with death beams. Mm-hmm. In the second act, we have uh, uh, an R-rated sex scene, followed by what was it? Seven pages of nudity. <laughs> Part- with five or five or six pages of nudity of our main characters. Um, let's see. The starship gets blown out of orbit by multiple torpedoes. Then in Act Three, we open with one of our primary villains just laying in bed nude. She's naked for two more pages. Uh, let's see. We discover the aftermath of the uh, attack on the ship, and bam, right off the bat, another major character is nude for several pages. <laughs> and it just goes on and on. There's a, there's a scene later where uh, somebody, gets, somebody dies brutally at the hand of the enemy. Uh, somebody gets their throat torn out by a cat girl. And a lot of people get blown away, and that's the first three acts. <laughs> so Starship Moonhawk is quite R-rated. But, we, you know, we never made it, I never made any bones about this. I mean, there's a reason that I have that WebMA warning up on the top of the page. <laughs> um, you guys ever read the, the Surrender short storyline? So, you know, there's two complete storylines on the site right now. There's a Space Destroyer Hunter episode where uh, Lieutenant Ben Sertain gets it on with uh, Immortal immortal Star Lady. And uh, then in uh, the following episode, Surrender, Eldel and Arya relates how she got completely fucked up. Kim wrote that story. That was a fun one. She basically gets, uh, I believe the word is eviscerated, with a hot knife. This is an eye, has her leg completely shattered with a spiked mace. Yeah. So when it comes when it comes to pussy footing around, Starship Moonhog doesn't do it. What's funny is made in the USA, although it does have uh, a little bit of um, campy nudity, it's actually kind of mundane. I don't know, Keith, have you read the script yet? Uh, not yet, I haven't. <laughs> it's a much more lighthearted storyline by comparison. 
the basic premise is a uh, uh, couple of a couple of aliens from a race that barely qualify as adversaries to the Star Alliance <laughs> steal a really important invention, and hilarity ensues. That's the basic premise of the storyline we're going to lead with. So. I, I, and there, of course, there's a lot. There's a lot of juvenile antics, as as is there won't in the military. <laughs> I, I tried to keep things very much in the spirit of how the military actually works, which is which is to say that without discipline, there is chaos. Mm-hmm. And discipline is in short supply. Yep. <laughs> so, well, I mean, when you got a ship that large with a crew that big, funny shit's going to happen. There are literally entire, like, huge areas that I can go where no one will find me because, you know, no one goes there. Well, I mean, the computer's watching you, but who's watching the computer watch you? You know? It's like, sure, they got cameras in here, but how are they how are they gonna go through that much footage in that many areas of the ship and spot me, you know, smoking a cigarette and rubbing out some baby butter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just because you know, it's like I'm gonna mark this territory right over here. <laughs> Oh man, I haven't christened this part of the ship yet. <laughs> yeah, that guy gross. But anyway, I could tell you I could tell you stories about some of the people that I cre- I kind of credit as consultants for Starship Moonhawk because I spent a lot of time while I was in in my college days talking to about to retire Navy chiefs. <laughs> so if you ever want the straight dope on what's going on, uh, spend some time in community college with a bunch of 19-year Navy veterans. Guys who are about to get out in a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, although I've gotten some pretty fun stories from the lifers, too. Hey, lifers sometimes have the best stories. Oh, my God. <laughs> the story about the gunnery ensign that they put the trash weights in his bunk and convinced him he was dying. <laughs> Oh man, you must uh, have, you must have Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> Guys in the gym working out like crazy every day, and they put more trash weights in, so the bulk keeps getting heavier and heavier. <laughs> man, these military guys are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> you know, inhaling inhaling that chemical in the in the in the gun turret that makes your voice really deep. <laughs> I am your father. And that's just some of the mundane stuff. One of my favorite stories was told to me by an old submariner. And um, he used to work on the nuclear subs, and they said, we're pretty sure that to this day we still glow in the dark. Um, Because he was on the nukes in the 60s. And um, he said that one of their favorite... They had this one guy. I I can't remember... uh, what his job was. He was like some junior helmsman or something like that. And he would constantly bum smokes off of everybody. 
And so they got tired of it because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, especially in the 60s, military salaries were shit. <laughs> they probably still are. I don't know. I don't know how anybody in the military lives on, the, on what they claim to get paid, especially at the lower ranks. So he kept bumming smokes and he kept bumming smokes. So when you're on a submarine, you have to have oxygen scrubbers, especially for when they're submerged. And the yes. You know, so, so that people don't suffocate. Right, so they don't suffocate. Turns the CO2 back into oxygen and puts it back out into the ship. So what they did was they soaked an entire pack of cigarettes in the oxygen scrubbers. Oh. <laughs> and he would bum a smoke, and he would light up, and it would go, paff, and blow. about three or four of these, he stopped. You know, personally, I'm somewhat surprised. Personally, I am somewhat surprised that smoking is even allowed on submarines, except for the fact that if you're having a bunch of people in a tin can underwater for a long period of time at a time, I'm pretty sure they need to make pretty much every sanity maintaining method available possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, just, you soak a cigarette in pure oxygen for a few seconds and then try to light up, it's going to blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. It turns it into literally an exploding cigar. <laughs> so those are some of the fun things that I, that I learned in my studies. <laughs> and I try to incorporate dumb shit like that into, into the storylines. There's a, there's a rumination in the beginning of the, of the, the, the second novel in the series, The Admiral's Daughter, which is the basis for uh, Space Destroyer Hunter. And uh, Captain Sky Cobalt is uh, reflecting on the fact that she had to hold a captain's mast for one of her crew members for... They had an alien species that used some kind of industrial lubricant as nourishment, and they replaced it with a jar of mayonnaise. Fun. The creature's flatulence was so toxic that they had to seal off a deck for four hours. <laughs> it, the whole deck was poisonous to human life for four hours <laughs> until they got the oxygen scrubbers to clean the toxins out of the air <laughs> and called a hazmat team <laughs> and put this crew member in isolation because toxic flatulence. <laughs> So, yeah, that stuff actually appears in Starship Moonhawk. <laughs> Which stuff? Uh, say that one more time. Oh, I was, talking about the prank- I was talking about the pranking and juvenile antics of military personnel. Um, so did you hear that whole part about the toxic flatulence? <laughs> no, I missed part of that. So. Ah, shit. Yeah. Yeah, in the Admiral's Daughter, there's this bit where Sky Cobalt had to, had to bring one of her crew mem- a couple of her crew members before Captain's Mast. Uh, which is, you know, basically uh, sort of like a, an informal, tri- it, well, it, it ends up being a formal reprimand, but uh, it's sort of an informal tribunal on the ship for when enlisted personnel go awry. Right, okay. And so she had to bring two crew members before Captain's Mass because they had this alien creature that was a crew member that subsisted on some kind of industrial-grade lubricant instead of regular food, and they replaced the lubricant with a jar of mayonnaise. 
And the flatulence wow. and the flatulence was so toxic that she had to seal off a deck for four hours <sighs> and isolate this crew member until he passed all of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like when you endanger when you endanger the crew, regardless of your intentions, <laughs> you draw a reprimand. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. That's all I got for tonight, folks. So be sure to check in on our Patreon. You can get more insights like that. Of course, I'll be revealing more in the Q&A sessions uh, during the podcast, especially here and on Moonhawk Studios Presents on Friday nights. We don't have a guest this week on Moonhawk Studios Presents, so that means we'll be chatting more about stuff that we didn't talk about last time. We got so involved in our Steven Universe conversation that we really didn't have time to throw Toonami under the bus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a whole episode by itself, I'm sure. Uh, and of course, uh, the Kawaii Neko Daigaku Patreon is still going. We're, uh, I just posted the second character card of our of the second girl in our trio, Miho, and there's a little explanation of what she's all about. And of course, this is a sort of showcase of our new artist's capabilities. So we hope you'll join that one. That one works a little differently than our other two Patreons. That particular one, you only pay when we update. But we need to have a minimum commitment of $55 per update in order to get pages made. So what I have done is I commissioned a pinup, which I've turned into character cards. And I also commissioned a Halloween pinup, two pages of comics, because I had a really banner month on uh, ad revenue. Two pages of comic, and I'm having the artist finish a pinup that he started a year and a half ago for frillypink.com, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to $55 so we can continue having him update. Now keep in mind, if you contribute $5, you're actually contributing $20 per month because because we're planning on updating at least weekly. Maybe you'll it's a per it's a per update, not a per month. Right. So if we don't update, you pay nothing. If we do mm-hmm. update, you pay that dollar amount that you committed, however many times we update. So that's really important that's really important to remember, but that if you commit a dollar, you're really committing four. Maybe five. If you commit five, you're committing somewhere between twenty and twenty five a month. And we'll keep updating like that until, well, until basically people stop paying us. So, uh, shipping a bottle returns to one time per week. The after the first week of November. So just remember that that um, after that first weekend in November, that's it. We go back to Fridays only. So if you want to see updates two times a week on Shipping a Bottle, be sure to donate to the Patreon. We need to get up over $400, otherwise it ain't going to happen. There is also talk of whether or not we are going to eliminate the the option for the third update every week because it's very taxing for Pretty Ocho. And I'd like her to start updating Mochaccino Gang again. She will, if we get to three times a week on Ship in a Bottle, you can pretty much consider that her full-time job because she is not going to do any other comics 
or commissions for anyone because she will literally be working six days a week. So please keep that in mind that if we do not get above two updates by January, I'm going to drop the third update option and put Mochaccino Gang in there. And actually, Mochaccino Gang might be a little cheaper for us to make because she tones in black and white. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, I will probably, if I do that, then we will shuffle Mochaccino Gang to the Tier 2 milestone, and the Tier 3 milestone will be shipping a bottle twice a week. And then Peppermint Saga will still be in there somewhere, but... I'm not terribly worried about it because as long as I have some kind of cash flow coming in, I'm going to keep updating it. So, as I said, be sure to tune in this Friday for Moonock Studios Presents. We'll see you next week, hopefully at the correct time, now that I've got a technological solution to my problem. I'm your host, Mace Palladino. Yeah. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.